Back in the um, back in the 1940s, the poet W. H. Auden wrote a, a long piece called "For the Time Being," and it was the Christmas story. If you don't know it, it's based on uh, the Christmas story, but in contemporary language with contemporary application for contemporary times. But it was a, a damning commentary on the 1940s. So the shepherds, for example, they represented the working class. They were there to keep things going, but they couldn't strike or complain. They had that fear of being removed, of losing their jobs, just chugging along, keeping the world moving. Mary, Mary, her verse was one of anxiety and sorrow. She looks out at a broken world. She looks ahead to her broken son, and hers is a sad verse. But it's Herod that's interesting for us this morning. Herod is portrayed as the ultimate um, liberal humanist. He, he wants to, in defense of reason, defense of uh, enlightened civilization, decides he must have this mass murder of baby boys. He must kill them. And yet, listen to what he says. He says, I like committing crimes. God likes forgiving them. Really, the world is admirably arranged. It's a common thought today, isn't it? If if God is in the business of forgiving, that's just his nature, then really I ought to give him some extra material to be working with. That seems to be where we've got to in Romans. That's the objection that Paul is dealing with. He spelt it out very clearly for the Roman church that all of humanity... It is not right with God that the moral Jew, law-abiding, good, that the wayward Gentile, not even giving God a second thought, all stand condemned, all face God's wrath, his righteous anger against their sin. But he has enacted a good plan, a gracious plan. He, He righteously makes the unrighteous righteous. But then, chapter 6, Paul begins to counter our objection. So 6 verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means, says Paul. 6 verse 15, as Daniel read, what then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? His answer, no. No, no, you've died to sin. That is not you anymore. No, you have a new master now. You've pledged yourself to someone new. Which then leads Paul to unpack what freedom means. That is the paradox for this morning. What is true Christian freedom? But before before we get there, we need to think about slavery. The first thing to say from verse 15 to 16 is that our slavery is universal. Whoever we are in all the world, wherever we are in all the world, whenever we are in all of human history, Paul says we are all slaves. We're all slaves to something. In verse 16, don't you know when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience which leads to righteousness. Friday morning, we were having breakfast, listening to Radio 2, as middle-aged folk do, and um, I was was intrigued to hear of this new policy on gambling in betting shops. Did you hear that? 
if you missed it, it means at the start of your gambling session, you can say how long you want to stay there for and how much you want to spend. Why? Because we just get sucked into things. And we just can't stop. I'll just have one more go. And five hours later, we're just having one more go. And so laws are made to limit that. Paul says everyone is a slave to something. Everyone from from Bista to Blackbird Lees to Barton to Botley to Headington to Florence Park to Summertown to Jericho to Rose Hill to Ifley to Kidlington to Littlemore to Barbados to Australia. Everybody is a slave to something. When you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves... You are slaves of the one you obey. There is no grey area. There is no neutrality. And I take it in your honest moments when you look into your heart, you will know that to be true. Either we're a slave to sin, which leads to death, says Paul, or to righteousness, which leads to life, which which ultimately ultimately means at the very core of it, at the centre, sits sits somebody in your life. It's a person. Either it's you or it's Jesus. Either we're slaves to sin or to him. David Foster Wallace is an American author, not a believer, not a Christian. He died a few years ago. He was described as this, the most intensely admired figure to emerge from his generation of American writers. After his death, the Guardian published a speech that he gave at a university graduation. You may have heard it before. Let me read some bits to you. It's incredible. He says this, Everything in my own immediate experience supports my deep belief that I am the absolute centre of the universe. The realist, most vivid and important person in existence. We rarely talk about this sort of natural, basic self-centeredness because it's so socially repulsive, but it's pretty much the same for all of us. Deep down, it is our default setting, hardwired into our boards at birth. Later on he says this, He says, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is no no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money or things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough Never feel like you have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power. You will feel weak and afraid and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect being seen as smart You will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. He gets it, doesn't he? What do we worship? What are we slaves to? If it's us, if we're at the centre, 
if we are what our life is about, is all about, then slavery will find its form in all kinds of ways. Foster Wallace says money and things, body and beauty, power and intellect. And of course, they are shiny and they are captivating and alluring and, and exciting and we want them and we think they will satisfy. We think they will promise us worth and value, identity. But eventually, he says, they will eat us alive. Paul says, finally, our slavery to sin outside of God leads not to life, but to death. Don't don't be a slave to sin. When sin tells you to jump, don't ask how high. Sin is not your master. You are a slave to obedience, which leads to righteousness. And when you obey Christ... And you bow the knee to him and you follow him so you are righteous in his eyes. In him you are justified. But there's a righteousness that grows as well and transforms you. Maybe you feel trapped. Maybe you see something of that slavery in your life. Whatever it might be for you. How others regard you, how high up the ladder you are, how much money you have, the kind of car you drive, the sort of clothes you wear. The good news from this passage, or at least one bit of the good news, is that our slavery is transferable. Verse 17 to 18. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. See, the story of the Romans is that they have changed their loyalty. They used to be one thing, and now they are another thing. Sin used to call the shots, but not now. Now their life is about being a slave to righteousness, obeying from their hearts. A a pattern of teaching, Paul puts it in 17. I think that's the gospel. Some of us get twitchy when we hear things about obedience because we think, well, I thought it was all about grace. We sing about grace, we talk about grace a lot. Now you want me to be obedient? And it is. Obedience to Christ, though, is because of his grace and kindness. It's because of who we are in him. It can lead to, to sweat and toil and hard work. But we're to be obedient to him because of his grace. His grace is not the enemy of obedience, it's the fuel of our obedience. It's striking, as you read as you read chapter 6 in Romans, as Paul expands the Christian's relationship to sin, in his language there are almost two different ways of looking at it. The first half of chapter 6, so verse 1 through to 14, the, the main language is of being in Christ, that is, as we trust and have faith in Christ... So we are included in him. His death becomes our death. His resurrection means our life. The blessings that he won become ours. We are in him. For example, just verse 3 and 4. Don't you know all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. He's speaking of this new status we have that God has conferred upon us. Live it out. You are new. You are in Christ. Live that life. 
But then second half of the chapter, 15 onwards, in one sense the perspective is less about what God has done, but more about who we are now, whom we are enslaved to, the decisions, the actions that we make. We've been set free from sin, and we become slaves to righteousness. It's the same thing, but from a different perspective. And so you see this, if you're here this morning as a Christian, you, you need to believe that sin is not inevitable for you anymore. Because you've been set free from it. Your allegiance has been transferred to a new master. You follow Christ now. But you're thinking, and I'm thinking, hang on, what about my week just gone? What about the thoughts in my head? The things that I've said? Because the reality is it's a daily battle to live it out. And we grin and we smile and we say we're fine. Yeah, it's been an okay week, thanks. But behind closed doors, life is very different. The reality of what goes on. I take it Paul writes this in part because of the daily battle for the Romans. Reminding them who their master is. I take it Paul writes it in part because of the daily battle for us. Reminding us who our master is. Story of a, a distressing story. A man called John Jewell, um, age 53, a few years ago on the verge of death kidney failure and he was told without a transplant that he would die as simple as that and so his wife agrees to the operation to give him one of her kidneys been married for 33 years they've worked alongside one another for 25 years they had two children together and he lives he gets her kidney and there's life and he recovers from the operation and he, he meets another woman. And he starts an affair with her. He discovers his wife has breast cancer, but he doesn't come back. Makes no difference. This is his new life with this other woman. And we find it shocking, that kind of betrayal. The wife who, who risked everything to save her husband, and he turns his back on her and betrays her. And you see, we're slaves to Christ. In one sense, every time we sin, every time we re-enslave ourselves to disobedience, we are turning our backs on him. If you're here as a Christian this morning, and you are deliberately, defiantly, willingly living for other things, living for self, can I, with Paul, urge you to stop? You have been set free from sin. And you have become a slave to righteousness. And the problem with slavery is it's not static. Slavery grows a harvest. Verse 19. 
Paul says, I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. There's an apology from Paul then at the start of verse 19. I take it because slavery, in one sense, is not the perfect example of a relationship with Christ. I was at a, at a wedding just before Christmas, and I spoke to somebody I'd never spoken to before, an older woman who was a Christian, um, and we got on to this idea that even though we are free, we are slaves to Christ, and she didn't like it. She, she, wasn't, a fr- she wasn't a slave, she said. She was free. I don't normally talk about that kind of stuff at weddings. Um, but you see, in one sense, she's completely right, But in another sense, she's completely wrong because we are free. And Paul will tell us much more about that in a couple of verses' time. But in another sense, we're slaves. I think he apologizes then because because we need to tell people about our slave master. Because when we think slavery, we think of one thing and it's very negative. What about if your slave master is good? His yoke is easy. His burden is light. And so he's saying this example from everyday life is being used, but there are limitations to our understanding of that. It's not a complete parallel. But our slavery grows a harvest, says Paul. You you reap what you sow. That's why in the short term, gamblers need to put a limit on the start of their session because it, it grows and develops and enslaves you and ensnares you. That's why longer term, so many may be riddled with depression or debt. They used to offer themselves, says Paul, as slaves to impurity, to ever-increasing wickedness. A way of growing is never quite satisfied. Sin snowballs and asks for more and more and more. We push boundaries. We want extremes. This ever-increasing wickedness. But now they're to offer themselves as slaves to righteousness, which leads to holiness. Do you see, who we are slaves to, who we serve, will be seen in our lives and there will be fruit. It's as simple as that. You see it in, in the older generation, in a lovely way. I think of some of the toffs, over 55 here at Maudlam Road, or folk who, who have lived the Christian life for many years with Jesus, happily enslaved to him. And so now there's a quiet calm, wise, trusting disposition. Or frankly, the opposite. Perhaps for folk we know who have lived without Christ for decades. For whom life now is all about self, because it always has been. And so they are bitter and hostile and anxious and cross and full of regrets, snappy, short-tempered. You see, who we are slaves to, who we serve, will grow and bring fruit. If we're slaves to self, that fruit will be seen. If we're slaves to Christ, that fruit will be seen in the holiness in our lives. Have a listen to this from a the American pastor, some of you may have heard of, an author as well, Josh Harris. 
in my mind, it's very wise, but also I find it quite challenging and provocative. He says this, he says, What you see in your spiritual life today is the direct result of what you've put in the soil of your life in days past. The difference between the person who grows in holiness and the one who doesn't is not a matter of personality and upbringing or gifting. The difference is what each has planted into the soil of his or her heart and soul. So holiness isn't a mysterious spiritual state that only an elite few can reach. It's more than an emotion or a resolution or an event. Holiness is a harvest. Those who offer themselves as slaves to righteousness will see a harvest of holiness as they live with Christ. It's a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge we don't just dabble in life because the stuff that we do bears fruit. It might be in good ways, might be in bad ways. Maybe in the short term it's as you watch lots of a particular program on TV or something, or you spend time with a particular person, you end up sounding like them, quoting them. It's true for me, as I sometimes listen to other preachers, if I listen to the same person too much, I end up sounding like them. It's awkward. But it's also true in the long term, hours, days, months, years. As we think about where we are investing, Slaving and obedience that change us, that transform us, that shape us. Be, be careful whom you serve, whom you pledge your slavery to, the kind of ways you fill your diary, the things that fill up your week. We're not just non-stick, we think we are. Things don't just wash off us, they affect us and change us. They infiltrate us, they enter us, they transform us. They grow. And finally, here's the paradox. Our slavery to God is freedom. We've said before from Maudlin Road that ours is a world that talks a lot about freedom, the desire for freedom. And by freedom we mean being able to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, with whomever we want. And when those things are in place, we think that's freedom. We are the boss. We get to choose. But Paul has said that definition doesn't work. It's wrong. That's not freedom because you end up doing what you want to do, when you want to do it, with whomever you choose. That means you're not free. You're being controlled by your desires. You are an inward slave. You can't help yourself. You're at the beck and call of your cravings and your appetites. That's not real freedom, says Paul. That's not who you were made to be. I was, I was chewing this idea of slavery over slightly this week in relation to, to staff, just thinking where we are as a church at the moment as we begin to advertise for the post of an assistant pastor. It seems to me that the danger can be easily, we think they are the answer to our problems. Another pair of hands on deck to get stuff done, another mind to deal with problems, another person for pastoral things, another slave 
to do what we need. But it's interesting, actually, if, if what Paul is saying is true, then we're all slaves. And what pastors do, what staff do, I try and help us to be better slaves to Christ. So as the body of Christ, we might be better enabled to live for him in freedom as slaves of righteousness. As Paul put it in Ephesians, we saw before Christmas, that we might together be equipped for works of service so that the body might might be built up. Free to be the people we were made to be, helping us grow and mature to have that true freedom, which means being a slave to Christ. Let's pray for that person. Let's pray for someone who can bring us and lead us in that. Not to come and do loads, but to enable us to be people that we were made to be. Have a look at 20 to 22. Paul says, When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. You see, Paul wants to redefine freedom for us. True freedom means we're set free from sin, which means we're enslaved to Christ, which means we're able to live for him and please him. Again, it sounds wrong and our hearts pull against it. What do you mean, really free yet slave to Christ? It sounds like a paradox. But what about this? What about if, if our slave master is amazing? If it's not just talk, but actually his yoke is easy. His burden is light. What if we were created to serve that kind of a king? What if being a slave to the gracious, kind, patient, gentle, good God of the universe is actually what life is all about? rather than being a slave to self, running here, there and everywhere with my desires and whims. What about if being, in, if being with him, serving him, is the best place to be in all the universe? I want to say, if you're somebody who's never trusted Christ for yourself, maybe you've been just looking in on Christian things. Maybe you're not really sure where you stand. Maybe you've been dragged along here this morning. I want to urge you to run to him and find freedom. Entrust yourself to him. That There is no one sin too big. There is no one sin too many. The cross is enough. And rather than keeping on running after all kinds of other things that we think will help us, but they just end up controlling us, what about actually listening to the one who made us and who knows us and to choose to live for him and find that freedom as you enslave yourself to him?
today. Do you see, to be a slave of God, to be in relationship with the person who made us, to be the people that we were made to be, means that we are free. It means we will reap holiness and eternal life. That's the paradox. Do you want true freedom? And become a slave. 